0: We are back with another episode of the Do As I Say, Not As I Did podcast. And as always, the name kind of explains everything. We're going to give you advice based on everything we did wrong the first time. Well, at least the things I did wrong the first time. Each week, I bring on founders, investors, product experts, technology futurists, sales gurus, just about anyone who is really smart and can help us work out how to build a great business. And then together, we answer the questions you send through about what's going on in your lives and in your businesses. So if you do have a question or you're trying to put out a fire, send us through an email and we're going to workshop it. So send those emails through to podcast at joelditrapani.com. That's a mouthful and that's okay. So I'm going to put that in the show notes for you so you can just click on it later on. I'm your host, Joel Trapani, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Vargo, which is an edtech scale-up. We've grown it through Australia and the UK, and we're now focused on the US, the promised land, which is where I'm living. I'm in Austin at the moment. On top of all of that, uh, I'm an advisor and a coach in the product space where I help startups and businesses work out how to actually run great product teams because that's how you build great products. And today, I'm excited to be joined by Lauren Pete, the founder and CEO of Multitudes, a startup born out of New Zealand, helping organizations provide engineering effectiveness metrics minus the creepiness. (laughs) That's my favorite tagline of any business I've ever read. Uh, But Multitudes shows engineering teams what conversations they need to have to deliver well without burning people out after studying at Stanford that's a flex I wanted to put in there because that's crazy Lauren has spent her career trying trying out consulting and venture but is constantly being drawn back to building her own businesses and Multitude is number three well at least number three as far as I can see and outside of continuing building her own businesses Lauren spends a lot of time giving back to the startup community and building up the ecosystem in New Zealand and even though Multitude was born in New Zealand Lauren wasn't so you can't get too excited to hear a New Zealand accent today um Lauren is an absolute expert at understanding what makes a great engineer work and what makes great engineering teams tick. So let's jump into it. Welcome, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Lauren.
1: Thanks for having me, excited to be here.
0: Look, before we get into our Reddit questions today, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're working on at the moment?
1: Yeah. So, um, thanks for the lovely intro with multitudes. And really, the, the key value that we're offering is putting an intelligence layer on top of all the systems of record that teams already use and then helping them save time and figuring out what's going wrong and then how do we fix it so people can get back to doing the work that they love. So, we sit on top of the tooling that teams are using like GitHub or Jira um, or PagerDuty. And then from that, we can see what's blocking your team, what's holding them back. Everything from blocked work through to who might be at risk of burnout, all the way to who might be bottlenecking the team because everyone's going to them with questions. And then we guide teams to take action from there. So that's multitudes.
0: I love it. And uh, I know when I first took over my product team, I was like, sales gets measured by dollars and now I'm gonna measure engineers by something. And I don't know what it is, probably lines of code. And it's just so wrong. So I'm so glad someone's out there who actually, you know, can prevent people going through all of that pain that I went through because it takes a long time to actually learn how to, you know, how to measure an engineer. It feels impossible for a long time. Yeah. Um, and but, I- but there are ways to do it.
1: Yeah, and it's a hot topic too, and I, one of the things I really want to see as a bigger change, um, and I'm working on a blog post with a friend about this now, is shifting from kind of um, what's been these oppositional ways of thinking about it, where the execs or leadership want one thing, and then the teams are like, yeah, you know, don't micromanage me, because obviously that's not good either, and instead trying to get the right, not only the right metrics, but ultimately the right vision and goal, so that we see... When this organization succeeds, we all do better. And so, how can we be aligning people? Um, and that's, you know, frankly, with some of those, I'm going to call them data metrics like lines of code, that's part of the problem. It's really reductive. Um, it's trying to put engineers in sort of the old, very like factory model way of working, where we saw people as cogs and inputs. Whereas today, Engineers are just one example of of knowledge workers and so knowledge workers that, you know, that type of work, it's much more complex, it's much more creative. And so there's lots of good reasons why it's hard to measure. Um, and ultimately, the way that we see it is at Multitudes is finding what we can do really well with data is find where things are breaking make sure that the team saves time in getting to those quickly and then give the teams an opportunity to kind of surface the human context around it. And we've seen that that's the best way to get what everyone wants, which is the work goes smoother and faster. And ultimately we ship better code together.
0: Yeah. I love it. You know, I think you bring up a really good point there, which is you actually can't separate the context from an outcome. The context is so important there, and it it took me a long time to get used to that. But but now uh, we measure our, our engineers individually, um, purely by context. Almost, you know that there's there's no uh, there's there's no like single metric that, that you can measure someone by because there's just so many different outputs that an engineer contributes to. Yeah. So
1: and. Can I add to that? Because this is such such a topic that's near and dear to my heart, too. We see this. So one of the things we think about with multitudes is how can we show more of the holistic picture? Because if we didn't, the answer would always be just work harder and faster. But at what cost? Right. And so we I can tell you, we use multitudes ourselves at our own team. And around a launch, we always see the same pattern, which is, yep, we move faster and we ship more PRs. Um, But it comes at a cost to well-being, so people end up working longer hours, and then the following week without fail, we start to see uh, a drop in the quality of the code that that we've shipped. So we start to see more change failures. And I I mentioned that example because the value that we see of metrics is in helping surface those trade-offs. We're always making trade-offs. But the question is, how much are we really aware of those trade-offs? And are those actually the trade-offs that we want to be making? And so the pact that we have, the agreement in our team is, yep, when we're heading into a launch, we accept that we're gonna trade off some of the well-being stuff, some of the code quality stuff, just to get it out the door. But then in the weeks following, we always know we need to do a reset because you can't you can't sustain with people working super long hours or with a a code base that's that's riddled with with tech debt and, and bugs.
0: Yeah. I I see the same thing there. After a big launch, <laughs> The team is exhausted but that's okay you know they've done a great thing well let's uh we'll pin that one there because this might come up in our questions later on but we will jump into the questions today come on I'm back sponsorship Joel here sponsorship Joel with a haircut so you don't need to worry because this is a sponsorship only haircut and as usual I have a PSA a public service announcement and that is to get mirror and show yourself some goddamn respect Because any self-respecting person in the world has Miro. Now this episode and this entire podcast is brought to you by Miro. They're not just our partner, I think they might be our best friend. Now, don't get confused. Miro is not just another simple digital whiteboard. Miro's capabilities run far beyond a digital whiteboard. It's a visual collaboration tool that my whole team and your whole team can use to build on each other's ideas and to create something meaningful together from anywhere in the world. Now Miro, yes, it can bring everyone you need into one place, but more importantly it can actually bring tons of different softwares and really different information into one place for you. So no matter what you use to run your company, to manage your projects, that can all come together into Miro to allow you to have real collaboration with all the information you need. Now, I always regularly continually talk about how I use Miro in my day to day and how just how important it is as a part of how I work on my project and how I work with my team. But I thought I'd actually give you some specifics today. So last week, I've been prepping for a board meeting. Now, all prep and presentation for that is done in Miro. So what does that actually look like? Well, first of all, we link all of the information we need into Miro as a place to get started. So we get our old board deck from Google Slides in there, we get the actions and notes from Asana, the platform data from Mixpanel, our revenue and our expense numbers from Google Sheets and from HubSpot. We bring that all into Mirror as a starting point. Then my head and my head of ops and I, we workshop what we actually need to cover in our next meeting. So that's you know, all all of the kind of like whiteboarding tools you would imagine, and we we use a lot of that whole AI generation tool to get us started to go from there. So we say, you know, I'm prepping a board meeting and it just spits out all the Im- all of the information you need to get started. After we've workshopped that and we get like a, a bit of an understanding of what the kind of stuff we want to cover, we then start to workshop our narrative and our story. How do we actually want this to flow? So we actually create a draft flow in Miro before we take it outside and we make it look very pretty in slides. Pretty is probably an overstatement, to be honest. I don't have much of a design eye. Uh And then lastly, in our board meetings in general, we like to make them more workshoppy. So we use big portions of our time to actually workshop the challenges that we're facing or the opportunities we're facing in my company. So we always create two big challenges and workshops in Miro ready to share with everyone during the board meeting. So that means we have, you know, draft fleshed out workshops of how we're actually gonna use our time together. So then the last thing we do is we present through Miro in our board meetings. And the most important is that we give access to that same Miro board to everyone during the board meeting to actually run the workshop of how we're gonna push the company forward and get everyone's input on that. So that's how we use Miro as just one example. I might share more examples if you like that, but look, to finish this off is just get Miro, goddammit. So sign up today and you'll get your first three Miro boards free forever. That's not a trick, okay? Just come in and just give it a go. You will love what you, what you see and how you experience it. So sign up today at Miro.com slash podcast. And because I have a funny accent, I'm going to spell it out, which is M-I-R-O.com slash podcast. All right, let's jump back into the questions. So this question is called, How is engineering and project management usually organized? In startups and small companies, are they separate departments? Does one usually org under the other? Who owns the software and execution delivery? Is it PM or does it usually roll up to like a VP of engineering or a CTO? I imagine the answer is, it depends. But what patterns are common and what seems to work well? Also any anti-patterns that I should be aware of. And this is from Vitamin MN.
1: Cool. Yeah, great question, especially around um, who should be really thinking about the delivery piece, who owns that. So I can talk about, as, as this person surmised, it is an it depends answer, but let me give some specific examples that I've seen in different organizations. Um, and I'll try to pull organizations of different sizes. So in the early days, because I know you know you and I are both on the startup side and I imagine some of the listeners are on the startup side. Um, you might, a lot of these roles end up collapsing into maybe a couple people or even one person. And uh, so for example, at Multitudes, I'll start there on on the startup side. One of the hats that I wear is that of the product owner. And so ultimately I'm the person who's thinking about that delivery question, but we also have uh, Emily who's running engineering. And so the piece she's thinking about ultimately is how do we build it? How do we make sure that we're, we're building it well, um, that it's working the way that it's meant to be working? And then I'm thinking about what is it that we heard from our customers and um, what does that mean for the use cases? And then uh, how are we doing it, actually getting things out the door in a timely manner to our customers? And then obviously, you know, we've got the, the design role in that too and thinking about, OK, well, what does it look like? What's the interactions? All of that. Um, so for us, in terms of that getting it out the door, some some pretty, <laughs> just just a few key roles. Um, in terms of how I've seen it in other organizations, as they get larger, I've seen that delivery role fit in a couple key places. So obviously product wears that hat and is thinking about it. And product is positioned in a really nice place to be thinking about how are we tracking at the user research side, that design side, how are we doing with that handoff to engineering um, one really common anti-pattern I've seen actually is not bringing in engineering early enough in thinking about the, the design specs. So, and this is something we've seen, I've seen it in larger organizations too. Um, so, you know, per the note of the podcast, do as I say, not as I do, because we've made this mistake. We've had times where we've done all this user research. We, we particularly have fallen into this with really big new um, launches where we did all this user research and we had this feature that was testing super well and then we took it to the engineers and they said, yep, you know, significant parts of that are just not going to be feasible in the timeframes that we have. And so that's something for us at least, we now have a standing check-in every couple of weeks between product design and ENG where the goal of it is actually to look further ahead on the roadmap and start to show some of those earlier designs so that if it's going to be technically quite hard or time consuming, we can already shift that and start testing some other things. Um, so that's an aside there. But the last thing I'll say on this though, just in terms of where delivery might sit, obviously product really set in that coordination piece, can think about what's coming down the track on the user research design side and then you know how much time are we giving the engineers to actually be able to build it well. But another group I've seen do a really great job of being involved in delivery is also engineering managers. and um, I, as a founder, I love the idea of having our engineering managers involved in it because they're quite close to what's actually happening. They also, um, because they're so close to some of the technical trade-offs we might be making, the more that on the product side we can give them that customer context, then they can actually start to make some of their own trade-offs around, you know, hey, if we build it this way, it's gonna take us much longer, but actually I know here's the key thing that customers really need, so I think we could trade this piece off and and build it in half the time, for example. Um, And so my takeaway there, and something I think about with our engineering team, is how can we, in a concise way, but how can we make sure that we're always sharing the customer why, so that they're more empowered to make their own trade-offs as they go, and and ultimately that can really help us um, get things out the door on time.
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think the number one thing you shouldn't do is separate the people building the thing from what the problem is. And the further you put the engineers away from the problems themselves, the worse your product will be. And and that's just not because it has to go through so many hands and, you know, like, like iterate it as different people understand it differently and re-communicate it. It's just that engineers are incredibly creative. So why would you just have one person thinking of the best solutions when you have a full team of extremely creative people that could come up with it? You know, I, I read it in the Ask a Developer book. True. <laughs> where he, he said, you know, you don't see accountants going to hackathons on the weekends just to do more accounting. You, there's no other industries except really engineers who do that where on the weekends, they're going to go and do more engineering and be more creative about solving different problems. So the, the anti-pattern is just don't separate engineers from the problems and from the customers you know i, I think you, you see it all the time that you just you know put engineers in this little box and then you give them the pe- the feature requests and they build it and then the platform's better it's like that's just i think that's just objectively wrong you know I, I don't think there's a way that that can really work unless you have you know a god of a product manager who's just perfect but that also just doesn't exist so just keep your engineers there <laughs> keep them involved also the more you do that the more your engineers are going to have buy-in and excitement and motivation to build the right shit they're also going to come up with ideas and and ways of building things that are way more effective and way more efficient so keep them keep them involved you know build the process so that that's there
1: i love that can i i have a specific example of that too because i've been trying to make sure i give specific examples um and so, one, so first of all, just huge plus one to that. And one of my favorite sessions that we do is actually those product design engineering syncs because it ends up being the super collaborative thing where I can guarantee whatever design we go in with will not be the one we come out with. But along the way, we'll probably come up with some stuff that, frankly, we forgot about, or should have considered already, on the product and design side, and it took the engineers with their their hat and their role helping us remember. Oh, yep, yeah, you know, think about it this way or that way, and so this is a really small example, but it's a feature we're designing now. It's on our team settings page. It's thinking about. Um, how we sync up the teams and multitudes with the team structures. They have it elsewhere in the org, because obviously um, in big organizations, you don't want to have to be constantly recreating your team structure. So it's a very functional thing, right? It's not the most exciting thing that we're doing, but it is a really big time saver for our users. And so we went in on the product design side with this very elaborate kind of like, okay, well maybe you want a partial sync, but then you have some extra teams you created here. And and we just we had some assumptions about the number of different things that our users would need to do. And then we got some pushback from our engineers of like, hey, you know, that's gonna be a lot of work to build. Do you really need that? Or could it just be a like, here's what we see. So what we're syncing with is the GitHub team structure. Could it just be we see these teams in GitHub, you sync some, you don't sync others, you know, how much do they need this other complexity? And um, so we mocked up a new design, took that away to some testing. And turns out, the simpler version is actually—it's like ninety percent of the cases, and actually the other ten percent we can live without. And so, you know, I love that because first of all, thank you to our engineering team for reminding us to keep it simple—not over. Like that's such a baseline rule, and I still forget it sometimes. So again, you know, do as I say, it, not as I do. But two, like we're gonna we're gonna build it so much faster, and actually, in terms of user value, it's still gonna be almost as good as this super complex over engineered thing that we were about to build. Yeah. Around I think um, if
0: any company should, you know, keep their engineers close to the problem, it's you because you're building for your engineers, kind of. <laughs> like the, the, the part-
1: <laughs> Yeah, 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 That's so true. Yes.
0: Look, I guess as as a bit more context, this is the way Vargo does it. When so I might have told this story before on the podcast, but if I haven't, it's Vargo's been around for seven years. For five years, I built a terrible, terrible product and engineering team. And I just kept hiring engineers. And I just kept thinking if I added engineers, the product would get better. But engineers aren't the only important piece in that puzzle. I kept also kept hiring the wrong engineers. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know, you know, really who focused on what or who had to work together or, or what, made it, what made it kind of sing. And then uh, at the five-year point, uh, my coach just said, you've built a terrible team and you need to fire everyone. And you need to start again. And you need to be in charge. And I was just like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Um, But I did, you know, I went... I got rid of the whole team cuz you know I had good people but in the wrong in the wrong roles with no leadership. We started again and one thing we did very clearly from the beginning is that we didn't have a product team or a product management team and an engineering team. We just have one product team and everyone sits in our product team because we just have one outcome and everyone is responsible for that. Engineers, you know, they play their part in this bigger piece. Product managers play a part, designers play a part, product marketing does a part, but everything needs to work together to achieve this one outcome. So, yes, we have a product manager or a head of product, which is just coordinating the pieces, but everyone actually works together in functional pods. And that works really well for us. And I'd actually say that is the better way to do things, but that's at our size of business, you know? I think as you scale to much bigger teams, um, I think that will change. And, you know, I do think one really effective tool is reorgs, you know? Pod by engineers, then pod by functional groups, then pod by engineers, then functional groups, that you know, change to whatever you need. But I think this works really well for us. And just to be really tactical and specific, in case people don't know what this looks like, generally in a product hub like this, you would have one product manager or a head of product who's just in charge, you know, of making sure everyone works together towards the And I guess they're identifying the biggest problems or the most important problems that will achieve our business objectives that are getting in the way of us achieving our business objectives. Then the team together works out what we need to build. And that team consists of a product marketer, a product designer, the product manager is is in the team as well doing their part. And then a group of three to six engineers, depending on how how big the team is or how fast they are or or how senior they are. So we see that working really well. And that's what we have. As we grow, we're just going to get another pod and another pod and another pod. And the product manager or the head of product Very is summer. just going to divvy up different, most important problems to those teams. And that's what a product team, in my mind, looks like and should be, I guess, should be structured like. But within that, you know, we have an engineering manager within that little team or the engineering team lead within that. To make sure the engineers you know are getting the work given up in the right way but everyone is responsible for the problems and make sure we have the best possible solutions
1: Mm, yeah i love that framing and it's it's one of those things it's really interesting kind of there's that piece of the upfront alignment why are we doing this what is it that customers are really needing here and something that i want to add to that which i think fits really well in in how you all work too is it, there is an upfront time cost to share that on. So for the the product owner to say, "Cool, here's the bigger strategy that we're working towards, and then here's how these features are aligning with that," and then and then you know on the design side, whoever's running your user research to say, "Great," and also you know here's the problem we're trying to solve with a specific feature, and here's what we're hearing back from our customers in the user research. Those all take time upfront, but. It's one of those that, you know, and, and the simple example I gave with the team sync, it's a small one, but I just see it over and over that it ends up saving time later. And one of the things I'm most proud of at Multitudes is how much our engineering team really does hold the customer needs first and foremost. Um, which is, you know, testament to them, really, in addition to kind of the, the cross-team communication that we have. So anyway, I think that's if I think about why does that sometimes get missed, too? I think it's that it does take an upfront cost. But actually, you know, you just you end up with everything flowing so much smoother later on.
0: That's a great point. You know, having a very clear strategy and then communicating that strategy to the to the wider team and specifically everyone under that product org is so important. And it will be hard to get that clear. Like I, for a long time, we were getting requests from our engineers from across the whole company of people saying like, we want this, we want that. And I was like, none of this makes sense as to what we're trying to do as a business. And then my coach told me again, just saying, you're wrong. You don't have a clear product strategy because if you did, no one would be asking these questions. And so like put, put that time in upfront. You know, do do the work and then continue to do the work. Remind people, bring it, bring it, you know, bring it forward. So Lauren, I think that's also, you know, very much credit to you to, for putting that time in up front. But uh, look, let's bring this one to a close now. Uh, and we're going to give a final judgment to vitamin. Mm. I guess, you know, to summarize this, I might go a little bit more esoteric because we've given you some more specific structures. But I, I think the two really important messages here is that The way you should structure your organization or your product organization is to one, is to get the right buy-in and the right communication. So spend the time upfront telling everyone what the strategy is and having it really clear about what the problems are and who you're solving for. And then the second most important thing is do not separate your engineers from the problems and the customers. That will destroy your engineering team and your product team and your business. If you keep them separate because you will build the wrong thing or you'll build a shittier version of what you could have had. All right. Well, vitamin, you have been advised and uh, we'll move to the next question. This question is called where to find good software engineers. I'm trying to build an engineering team for my startup, but most of my remote developers that apply look kind of shady in the interviews. Some of them don't even have the camera turned on. I'm trying to bring applicants through, I'm trying to bring in applicants through LinkedIn, even paid to boost the job opportunity, but only get more applicants without the re- the minimum required three years of React. Where do you find good mid to senior developers? Any tips or advice? Thanks from Raposa Roxa.
1: Mm, cool. Oh, there's so much we can dive into around this question. Okay, I'll riff a bit, uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to contain myself. So, <laughs> One, I, this is something, what's tricky about this is it's so, it is really important. Um, you know, you, you can have this vision, but as they always talk about, the idea is the only part of it. And so so being able to bring it to life, having a great engineering team that can help you shift, because especially at the beginning, you think you're building one thing, I've been there and then you realize, nope, this is what we actually need to build instead. Um, so such, such an important thing to be spending some time on. Um, the the piece i really want to dive into is what a good engineer looks like and part of this really comes down to the type of organization that you want to build or you know that that this this the the question asker wants to build and that some of the stuff you know in the early days of a startup you're kind of feeling into it and working through it yourself um and, and so maybe you don't have a 100% clear vision and that's okay but the reason I want to focus on what kind of organization you want to build is there are a lot of assumptions out there around what is a quote unquote good engineer. And so my nudge is to think about who are the who are the type of people that you want to be working with? So so really pull it back to something personal and the people level. And my nudge on that is first and foremost for any employee, not just for engineers, to think about what are the values that you hold to be true and then what does that mean for the types of folks you should be hiring? So. For example, I can tell you with Multitudes, we're building a product, yes, we have some metrics in there, but we're building a product that approaches this in a really human-centric way. And that means that one one of our values is that we're all better together when we're supporting each other, and it means that then in the hiring process, we're looking for people who have that same kind of human-centricity. And so for us, someone who hops on a call, (laughs) you know, there, there might be some valid reasons that they don't have their, um, their video on, but in general, for us, that would be a, a connection thing, right? You've just met someone, you're trying to build a relationship. Um, and so, you know, unless there's some reasons why it doesn't make sense, in which case you've probably communicated that you're probably turning on your video. If you're a multitudes kind of person, because that helps with that connection. And that really matters for us and our values. Um, but that would be my nudges. First of all, what's kind of just the, the baseline values that you really care about? And you know, by the fact you gave that example, I'm guessing maybe this is something that that when you sit with it, you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Maybe that's not the values that we're looking for in who we hire. So that's that first piece. The second piece is then what does a good engineer look like in that context? And I want to also do a couple nudges around that. So one, I heard in one of the examples you saying, yep, you're looking for people that have a minimum of three years of React. My nudge here is rather than thinking about years of skills, to think about the competencies that somebody brings. And the reason for that is you could have someone who maybe learned React more recently, but you know, in the example you were giving before, Joel, maybe they've just thrown themselves into it and they're doing the hackathons on the weekends and... They've been building all their own projects and they've just, you know, like maybe it hasn't been many years, but actually in terms of the time and the effort and the speed of learning, they've gotten really far. And then the flip side is you could have someone who's been doing it for three years, but it's just been kind of like, OK, you know, I'm like sitting somewhere. I'm not really diving in and building that skill set. And so something that we've done and multitudes around that and, and this person, if they're not technical, maybe find a friend is we have a little challenge that people do and, and they can take it home. And um, and then it just gives us a chance to see some of their skills in action. So when we give you a challenge, is it actually something that you can take away? Uh, something else that you can do even earlier in the process is just ask them for examples of stuff that they've built in the past. And so, you know, if it's a side project, they might actually be able to share quite a bit about it or if it was something they built for a company, they could at least tell you a bit about what kind of thing that they they built, or you know what was it that it did, what was their role in actually bringing it to life. Um, but yeah, I would really then think about what are the the competencies and the skills rather than just the the time spent on a particular thing.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that one hundred percent. You know, uh, I I'm not a technical co-founder, and and as I was. I was rebuilding our team. Okay. I had to do a lot of technical hiring, but I couldn't do it on, on my own. I had to rely on my team to help me with that. I had to rely on my coaches. I had to rely on my advisors, my mentors, and, and my, my other co-founder who is technical to, to help me with that. But you can still hire a technical team without having the technical experience if you bring the right people in to support you on that journey. There are ways to do that. But I think larger than that, the, the first point you made, Lauren, is, is the number one point, is that when you want to hire a good engineer, You actually want to hire a good fit for your team. It's the same way you'd go about any role. Okay, that that the first thing you're doing is that you're hiring someone for multitudes or we're hiring someone for Vigo. That's number one. And so I did all of our first interviews when hiring Aaron. when, When we rebuilt our engineering team, I did every first interview without any technical questions. You know, it was I wanted to see, is this person right for us? It's pretty easy through their resume to you know to to cut people that don't have some of the the kind of experiences or or the kind of skill sets that you want cut them all out you can cut that even further in your first interview but more than anything i want to see you know are they people centric you know like for you lauren or 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 for us like in the way i search for people our we're an ed tech company we care about helping education and helping people learn and our whole platform is built around connecting people with mentors and advisors and tutors a really good flag for us that are the right person is do they have mentoring experience or volunteering experience? Great, tick. I'm only looking for people with those experiences because they fit our model. So look for someone who fits your team. That doesn't mean they have to be overly charismatic like a salesperson or a founder, but, but they can fit into to the values you have in your company. And so that's number one. If you don't know your values, I think understand them first and then go out to hire. Try to understand at least at a draft level what kind of people you're looking for in your team then go and look for the skills on top of that. Uh, And I I would also say, I I totally agree, the tests or the challenges or whatever you want to call it, I think they're super key. We do a really extreme one with Vigo, but we pay for it. So we just say, we need you to do a 10-hour project and we're going to pay you for 10 hours, $100 an hour. If you want to have a go, do it. We we, we want to show you our whole tech stack. We want to see if you can work within our tech stack, even if you have no experience with our tech stack. Like, that's totally fine. Just come in and have a crack. Um and then we'll pay you for it and then we can have a chat afterwards and then we get to we bring someone technical along to review that and talk to them to see you know how does this go, how does this work with people? Do they do they gel with our team? Do they think about problems in the in the same way as us? Do they do they think about it completely differently? Is that good? Is it bad? Um and then you know the next thing I'd say is go go wider than you think. So our stack is firebase and angular, like to put it really simple. And we, I was like, we're only getting people with Angular and Firebase experience. And that's so wrong, you know, because that limited our pool so heavily. You don't need to have that. So I think, you know, j- just lift it to, to the tech level higher than that, you know, like, do they have, have they built in TypeScript or have they built in, in, in Node? Like, at a high level, do they understand, you know, the kinds of structures that you're using? Because engineers can learn any language. That's what they do they don't care they're just solving problems that's all they do can they solve the right problems for you so so go away wider than you think and the last thing is that i feel very very passionate about lee passionately about i can talk <laughs> you're okay. is if you just put job ads out and that's the only kind of searching you're doing you're gonna hire the shittest people now that doesn't mean that good people don't come through those channels they do occasionally But if you're building a team you need to put so much work in and i would say if it's the first time you're building a team you need to get the reps in so what i did and i would recommend this to anyone first of all use this platform called covey it's like a recruitment platform that i absolutely love they're not a sponsor i just love them getcovey.com you go there and they help you do like drip campaigns to engineers so you find good engineers And then they do drip campaigns where you write all the different emails and and it gets you a lot of initial meetings. So go out and get deep and deep and deep on LinkedIn and just search through hundreds and thousands of profiles and, and just start talking to them all and reaching out to them and reaching out to them and trying to have conversations with them. Once you've done that, you can actually narrow it down. Oh, I liked this when an engineer had that experience or I didn't like this and I didn't like that. So for my first engineer, I interviewed 70 people. That's unnecessary for most, but that was a huge learning experience for me. The next ones I could, I could get that lower and lower and lower. So I just say, put the work in and talk to a shitload of people because, you know, engineers are also gonna screen you out if you're an idiot and you don't know anything. So put the work in and and, and meet as many yeah, people we'll- as you can and and don't just rely on people coming to you. That will, that will happen. Especially have a crazy good brand, but but it's not the only way. I think you need to do a whole lot of cold outreach.
1: Mm. I want to um, yeah, add to that too. Just on the how do you find people point because that agreeing with what you said and um the other piece. So especially those those first hires are gonna really shape the tone. That from of everyone from there right and it's there's this great analogy i love from biology which is called founder bias um which is like let's say you had a bunch of birds and they in general they were a mix of like gray and red and black and then and there's not very many of the red birds and then one of the red birds moves to an, an island or like a few of them move to this island and then they kick it off you know kick off the, the colony of birds there you'll end up on the island with a bunch of redbirds. And that's because like the people you started with kind of, well, in this case, you know, the birds, (laughs) they end up having this really outsized impact on what you create. And that with each of our own little startups, we're creating this new little colony on an island. And so what kind of island do we want? And so I really plus one to over investing on those conversations. And then two other things I'll add to that. So another point there is, um, I always, we know that teams that are more diverse do better. And so something I thought about a lot in the early days of multitudes was I'm going to make sure I'm not just talking to people that look like me. Um, so I'm a white woman. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I wasn't just talking to other white women. Um, and so I was thinking about that in that reach I was doing. And we know that people from underrepresented groups are less likely to put themselves forward for things. And it's nothing to do with how amazing they are. Um, it's frankly to do with a world that doesn't appreciate them for their levels of amazingness. And But anyway, the, the upshot of that is if you want to have a more diverse group of people coming through, which we all should, doing that kind of targeted outreach is actually how you get them in the door by saying, hey, I think you're really cool. Can we have a conversation? Um, and that's actually how I got, as you were talking, I was thinking about how I got all of yeah. the first hires at Multitudes. and. One person I met, we were at, um, like, a machine learning boot camp thing, and he was the smartest person in the room. So that was just, (laughs) like, way smarter than me. So I was like, well, you should be building (laughs) machine learning stuff instead of me. The second person, though, was a friend of friends. And so it was that kind of, you know, working your networks. Um, And this was actually my second point I was going to say is, like, do the shoulder tapping, but also as part of that, engage your networks. So if you have an advisor, if you have someone helping you put together the technical test, ask them who they would know and who they would recommend. Um, and same thing with any friends or communities you're part of, ask them too, because yeah. usually in that, like, you know, maybe it's not in your direct connections, but by the time you get to the connections of your connections, that starts to be, I'm sure, you know, dozens, hundreds of people that you could be speaking to. Um, and then the very last thing I'll say, too, is especially with engineers, the other reason to do the outreach is because most engineers are getting pinged at least once a week by recruiters. So engineers are used to being able to just kind of not that you know, engineers aren't doing outreach, but there's so much inbound coming through to them. And so, um, you know, really, it's good to actually be one of the people coming through and then figuring out, you know, get a warm intro or how can you break through the noise? Um, but they're used to having the the interesting opportunities come their way.
0: Yeah, great points. I this this question just has so much we could talk about. I feel like we could do episodes and episodes on, on elements of this. I I'm gonna plus one the you know the the focus on diverse hires, especially early on. And, and I I feel like I'm just constantly talking about my coaches this episode. Get a coach, they're awesome. You know, you will not regret it. <laughs>
1: I've had a coach, too. Joel and I have worked with the same coach. She's great.
0: <laughs> you work with Laura?
1: Oh, no. I thought you worked with Chris. And- oh, no. Chris as well. Yeah, yeah, Yes, yes,
0: yes. Coach, sorry. <laughs> uh, we, I, uh, clearly, Joel and I both
1: worked with many coaches.
0: Yeah, we, like, we love coaches.
1: <laughs> lot, I've had lots of coaches.
0: Um, but, yeah, so uh, I think, you know, when you're building the the... those first hires they're very instrumental forever in your team not just because of what they build but because of the culture that they they set in your team as well so i the first person i hired was another white man and then uh my coach said like just be careful because one more white man in your team it might be a coincidence but a third is a pattern And you immediately from the outside, no matter what you say, and if you have a diversity statement and all that kind of stuff, you have a bro culture, a tech bro culture. And and that's what it looks like from the outside. So like it's really important to focus on that. And I'm not saying, you know, give up the best highs, get the best highs for your team, but put the work in to meet people. If if you're if you're doing interviews and, you know, out of seventy of them, sixty-five of them are, are white men. Like Guess who you're going to hire? So, so, so put the work in and, and do the outreach and, and make sure you speak to people who are different to you because it will make your team way better. This episode is not to talk about the benefits of diversity. Everyone knows that. Go and do it. But just put the work in early because when you set a pattern from the outside, you start to alienate people after a while as well. So that's really key.
1: Can I add to that too, which is every person I know who's a woman in tech whether you, maybe people know this is happening, maybe not. But if someone's considering, if a a woman in tech is considering a new company, uh, they will go to the About Us page or wherever it is that they can see photos of what the team looks like. And if they don't see people that looks like them, they might not even apply. That might be the end of it. You may never even hear of them or know that they had at one point maybe thought about applying to work with you and your company. So yeah, it, you know, I love that. Two's a coincidence, three's a pattern don't don't get too many of those patterns because actually it means you're cutting yourself off from the whole pool of talent that's out there
0: yeah i love it and then my last thing is that i actually don't normally tell people this i keep this as a secret to me but i'm going to share i'm going to share this piece of advice now when you're doing cold outreach when you're doing hiring there is a hack to massively increase your response rate so when when i do my outreach you've got to think of something that works really well for your company but i say like you can do all you can do all your stuff you know do your ask and all that kind of crap keep that yourself but i do something unique that that most people don't do and i have data to prove that it's way more effective than anyone else's approach and you can just steal this from now on so as i said we're an ed tech company we care about making an impact in education so in in all my ask i say hey lauren come and work with us. I think we would be amazing together and working together, we can achieve Vigo's mission, which is we want to help everyone in the world get access to better education. So you would do something good for the world if you come and work here. But have a conversation with me. And even if you don't want to work with me afterwards, that's totally fine. You'll still make an impact on the world of education because I'll go and make a donation to the School for Life charity, my personal favorite charity, and I'll put a kid into school in uh, Uganda for a year. So no matter what, you've changed education for good just by having a conversation with me, and then people are just like, "Holy shit!" Like, I'll have the conversation, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll sit down with you. You're putting your money where your mouth is, and, and it separates us. And the and then the proof points I have is that Get that company I use they benchmark me against everyone else that's ever used that platform, and apparently, like, our open rates are two or three times higher than anyone else because of that ask. Because people are just like, you know. We can see your mission. You care about it. So do that. Pick a charity. It'll cost you like 50 or 100 bucks, whatever like whatever charity you want per conversation. Um, but you'll find great talent that way. And you will stand out because these people are getting hit up nonstop because there is money in tech.
1: Mm, that's a great example.
0: All right. We've gone so far over on this. We're not going to have any more time for questions, but I'm going to try and wrap this one up because it's been so much fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. How do I start on this question? All right. But uh, who... Raposa, how are we going to give this for Raposa? Final judgment here is number one, hire for your team first. Make sure this person actually fits in your team more than anything else and then search out if they're a great engineer. Second thing is go broader on skills than you think. It doesn't need to be three years of React. It just needs to be very competent and good at what they do because engineers can adapt and learn any language. Three is be really conscious of of the people you're bringing into your team. Set the right culture from day one. so so put the work in and find the right people to to build you know the foundation your team of. And lastly is uh, do outreach, you know you're not going to find. Um, amazing 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 people all the time if you just let people come to you at least in the early days if you're open ai you probably mm, will actually but yep. um you're not so put the put the work in and do tons and tons of outreach hundreds or thousands of messages out on linkedin and email and and you will find Plus, good people and get the reps in anything i've i've missed there Lauren.
1: No, that was um, that was great. Yeah, just broaden, broaden how you think about doing the outreach, and yeah, put in the legwork rather than waiting for people to come to you. All
0: right, you have been advised, Raposa Roxa, and although I had heaps of other great questions for Lauren, we're gonna kill this one here because this has been a long one and it's been so much fun. There's so much context here, um, so we're gonna move on to the last part of the show, and that's called plugs. Now, I'm confident this is a fan favorite. No one's told me that. No fans have told me that, but I think it's the fan favorite. So we'll move into plugs. Uh, What's going on on your side, Lauren? What would you like to plug?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we're in beta with multitudes. And so if you work on a product or engineering team and you want a tool that you want to, well, more importantly, you want to help us shape a tool that makes um, supports engineering teams to be happier and higher performing together, then get in touch. Um, We're bringing in beta testers now. um, So that's one. And then I was inspired by something that Joel said beforehand, too. But the second thing I'll say is um, I just want to do a general shout out to those building startups outside of Silicon Valley. And I say this as someone who lived and worked in Silicon Valley, and I have lots of friends building startups there who are doing really great work. But um, as Joel mentioned, I'm now based in New Zealand, you know, on a a plane a lot, but based in New Zealand. And there is such cool stuff and so many different approaches happening. And um, so I just... You know, if you're outside of Silicon Valley, I want to just give you the nudge of like, what's unique about your startup ecosystem, and what's the special sauce that actually everyone else in the world should be learning from your startup hub and your you know corner of the world. And then um, just a, a nudge to to my friends in Silicon Valley that the Silicon Valley way isn't the only way. Certainly, Silicon Valley is a head start on on the rest of us building elsewhere. But there's so much still for Silicon Valley to learn. Um, And one thing I'll say from the Australia-New Zealand ecosystem is one of the things I love most out here is this focus on not just building a company to make money, but to look at what good we can do in the world. And you see that so much with Canva, for example, which is one of the stars in this part of the world. And their top two goals are, yes, build something of value, but to go do as much good as they can with it. So um, yeah, just shout out to everyone building startups outside of the valley.
0: I love it. There's a lot of good building going on everywhere. Uh, But God, there's a lot of money in Silicon Valley. (laughs) Also, fly there. (laughs) People there. (laughs)
1: You can build outside the valley and still fly there and raise money there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And shout out to everyone who's not in Silicon Valley with money, you know, put more investing into these other ecosystems because that's really what they need. The reason Silicon Valley is so much more advanced is just because there's been more wins on the board, so there's more investment, so there's more wins on the board. And these other places are just going to take time to catch up. So we need great founders and we need, you know, we need bold investors to start early in places like Australia and New Zealand. And it's starting to happen. But I think Australia just had its first ever VC fund finish its first, you know, whole term of ten years. That's crazy. It just happened. <laughs> so, so we've got a while to go. But there's some exceptional people there, and they're and they're moving and they're changing. But, but please, investors, keep investing in these markets. It'll make them better
1: one yeah and and there's money to be made too you know i i know that's the, <laughs> the roi piece needs to be in there too
0: startup can survive in australia new zealand they will thrive anywhere else so give them money cuz they're getting built in the desert and they are hardened and resilient like startups nowhere else in the world all right well plugs on my side cuz it's my podcast and i selfishly plug myself all the time thank you for listening take the time right now pull out your phone five stars subscribe download all of those things do that right now and then also get out your friends phones steal a phone go get any phone you can find lost phones lost and found boxes get it out download subscribe they're are our favorite subscribers um so send us a photo we can donate it. um you know if you've got questions that you want us to answer send them through to podcast at And uh, lastly. If you want to have a conversation, I love meeting new people. So book some time with me. I've got a booking link in the calendar. If you've got problems in your startup, you've got challenges in your startup, specifically on the product side of things. I love talking about this kind of stuff. Let me know. And just plugging to all coaches, get a coach. Absolutely get a coach. It should be me because I'm great. But if it's not, get a coach, even if it's not me, because they will make your business way better. And that's everything this week. So this has been another week of the Do As I Say, Not As I Did podcast. We'll see everyone next week.